Seven. Nashville SC's bid for its first trophy in club history falls just a penalty kick short, 10-9 the final in PKs after a 1-1 regulation draw with Messi and Miami. We're here to break it down and get you ready for the return to league play. This is Club and Country, the podcast of record from the two people who've covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Wes Bowling. And I'm Tim Sullivan, the creator of ClubCountryUSA.com. Tim, mixed feelings, I think, for Nashville SC supporters. Sweet, of course, to see the club go as far as it did in the cup competition. I think that will be the prevailing pride that will stick with them, but can't blame anybody for still stinging after a narrow defeat. It came down to keepers taking penalties, and PKs are always a crapshoot, but especially when you get to that round. (laughs) Yeah, definitely, and I don't think uh, any Nashville SC fan who's feeling down on the team should uh, if you are the better team on on the pitch for a while and the best player to ever play the game beats you on a on a wondrous goal, uh, you, you're not happy, but you kind of understand that it's a sign that your team is is doing the right things to find success in the future. And yes, it's frustrating to miss out on the first trophy in club history by by the narrowest of margins, but at the same time, you you saw that the future is bright. Yeah, I've not seen a single person who has been down on the team at least in my circles down on the situation everybody it it sucks to lose (laughs) in that in that way was Nashville a better team though against Miami on Saturday for the bulk of the match yeah I would say by a pretty comfortable margin they were after Messi's absolutely incredible goal again the best player who has ever laced him up is going to do some incredible things after his goal Miami had probably a a 10 or 15 minute period where they felt like the stronger team but I, I would say other than that period, and including when Messi scored, Nashville had been on the front foot and he kind of made a goal out of nothing. And, um, you know, he, again, he's going to do that. Aside from that stretch, including that that goal, Nashville seemed like the better team for the vast majority of it. And as much as Miami has been the worst team in Major League Soccer this season, um, since Busquets has come in, since Messi has come in, nobody has looked consistently like the better team on the pitch when playing against Miami. And um, I think that will probably happen a few times in in the regular season as it resumes uh, for Nashville this coming weekend. But um, so far, Nashville's the only team to do it. And that's something that you can hang your hat on as well. Okay, well, you just answered my second question I was going to ask you then, which was how the team (laughs) handled Messi's influence compared to others who played him. Of course, Nashville's going to go to Miami in just a couple of weeks. And obviously, Mm -hmm. all the whole league was watching Nashville to see how they would handle him and what they would do. What did we learn? What did Nashville learn? What did Major League Soccer learn about how to somehow wrangle some sort of handle on this guy? Granted, he scored. I think the XG was like .03 on the shot that he took that he made. That's yeah, that's and Walker Zimmerman tackled it off of his foot, and he was just like, "Hey, are you forgetting that I'm Leo Messi?" <laughs> he just still <laughs> managed to control it. It's something that that nobody else, uh, certainly in this league and probably on the planet, has is going to be able to do. So, so, but but in terms of defending him, what did Nashville do so mm-hmm. well that others can learn from? A big part of it was not controlling Messi necessarily, but preventing him from getting a ton of the ball. Um, especially in the first phase of the game before he managed that goal, kind of against the run of play a little bit. Nashville was just. Uh, more than worrying about Messi so much, 
because he wasn't be- being able to get the ball. It was controlling Sergio Busquets, who, you know, didn't have his best game so far. And again, Messi didn't have his best game so far either. They they each probably had their worst. So congrats, Nashville. You get the seven-game sample size uh, trophy, <laughs> at least, uh, in terms of, of playing against Miami. But it was being physical with Busquets, cutting out the passing lanes. And, um, you know, I wouldn't say Dax McCarty was man-marking uh, in the middle of the pitch. But certainly when you have a guy who has the intelligence of Dax McCarty, uh, who has the the kind of desire to succeed defensively in a way that a lot of midfielders in this league kind of brush off? For example, Sergio Busquets. Um, I think I think Dax is kind of he's not the he's not the you know messy antidote, but he's certainly the sort of guy that you absolutely need. And he came out and played the game of his life. Honestly, um, you know, as a guy who's who's 36 years old, who's played a ton of games in this league. Uh, he's never had to do it against Messi before, and he did it as well as anybody has uh, so far in this league. And and honestly, for a long time in, in Ligue 1 or in in in, uh, in La Liga. People have had trouble with this guy. Uh, you might have heard of him before for that reason. And, and Dax <laughs> McCarty did as well against him as, as anybody could expect. Yeah, they're actually going to rename man marking, actually, based on what Dax did. They're going to call it Dax McMarking. <laughs> the pity laugh uh, It's been too really long since we've had that bad of a pun. It's been too long. Thank you. I, I don't think it's been that long. I'm going to disagree with you there. but That, thank you. that, that low of a quality of pun as well. Oh. We, we've that had a lot feel, of bad puns. That <laughs> makes me feel even better. Thank you. Uh, at the outset, yeah, the heard... topographical prominence of that pun. <laughs> <laughs> I just got back from Salt Lake City. We've gone from the, the mountains of the great feelings of making a final now to the salty, bitter valley lake, great salt lake of of bad puns so sorry for the emotional tears. swing everybody yes there are many <laughs> of my tears. tears hearing that pun. there yeah yeah your tears and unfortunately the tears of some nashville sc supporters we opened with uh, the apple tv call of the final penalty kick the winner for miami um while we're getting in your feelings just a little bit folks here is the audio on 104.5 the zone of that Lionel Messi goal. Hits for Miami. Taylor giving go with Martinez. Robert Taylor on his right foot. Tries to slide it in for Kramaski. Intercepted. Here's Lionel Messi on his left foot. Top of the 18. Messi shoots and he scores. Magical Messi for Miami. Game 7. Goal number 10. 24th minute. Miami 1. Nashville 0. Great call by Will Bowling. Uh, if it wasn't me on that call, I'm glad it was him. He did an awesome job. Got to call a messy goal, which, if I'm being honest, I wanted him to get that chance and maybe a 3-1 Nashville win. Uh, unfortunately, that was <laughs> what put Miami ahead. But then, Tim, a resilient display from this Nashville team. You've seen when Miami goes up in League's Cup, it can be awfully hard to catch them. Philadelphia, the best defense in Major League Soccer, or at least one of them, Nashville might have a word with me on that, absolutely got swamped. Bad goalkeeping performance by Andre Blake, uncharacteristically so. But uh, Nashville was resilient, and it resulted in what I believe ended up being called an own goal, but Fafa Pico made it happen uh, in the second half, and here is the Apple TV call of that. The best set-piece team in League Scuff got a great opportunity here to tie the game. Mukhtar flicked on! So those were the moments, and Tim, when it goes to penalty kicks, what was your what was your thinking there as as things drift that direction? Was it just it's a crapshoot? Did you think maybe a particular yeah. team had an advantage, uh, or uh, what 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 were you thinking? I, I have always felt like there's no advantage to going first or second in a penalty shootout. Although I know there is, people have run the numbers, and there's an advantage um, to going uh, second. I believe it is. I don't even remember. Anyway, 
every time Miami was at the spot, I felt like it was going in. And every time Nashville was at the spot, I felt like it wasn't going in. So uh, the, the optimism that we so frequently show that sometimes people think we're a little too optimistic for this team <laughs> completely flipped on its head. I was completely pessimistic. I was extremely happy that it lasted as long as it did. Uh, for the first penalty kick, I still definitely had a, a more like Lionel Missy uh, tweet all lined up, ready to go. Of course, he did <laughs> not miss, so that kind of ruined it for hold me. Hold on, but, hold uh, on. Yeah. Hold, no, I need a minute here. You criticized my Dax McMarking, and you were going to use a Leo Missy? That's yeah, because if he had missed. So miss is like when you don't make the penalty okay, shot. Okay, you don't have to dissect the frog <laughs> here. I, I just want to – I think that's a brilliant pun, but I thought mine was too. So I'm just, I guess, knocking <laughs> hypocrisy here. You get after my yeah, plan, and you, uh, you're going to make one of those. Jeez, I'm, it's I not it's not hypocrisy if the only if the only uh, priority is self serving on this <laughs> raw naked ambition, vaulting ambition. Yeah. Okay, Macbeth. Uh, okay, so so Leo Missy did not miss, and if Elliot, Elliot Panico had not uh, been saved, and again, I'm never going to fault a keeper for not hitting a PK if it gets to that point. You know, he did his job and stopped one to keep this thing level. Yeah. Um, it's just, it was going to be messy after that. It, to me, it felt like once it got to that point, things were starting to lean Miami's way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we haven't mentioned him yet, but we should absolutely mention that in the shootout, but also in regulation, Drake Callender kept his team in this match. He was, he had an incredible goalkeeping performance. I think if he hadn't, people would be talking about how incredible Elliot Panico's goalkeeping performance was as well. It's just a situation where, um, eventually when you go to a shootout you're maybe sometimes you'll go to 19 rounds like that Vancouver match very early in league's cup, but somebody eventually has to miss and, and he's going to be the goat uh, playing against the, the all caps goat, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a situation where it absolutely sucks that it was Panico, honestly, because he had a good game in that he yeah. had a good game in the shootout, but it, it, it is going to be somebody. It could have been somebody on Miami. It ended up being somebody on Nashville. I, I don't think anybody's ever going to be too upset about it unless you see a situation like the U.S. Women's National Team where some of the best players in the world miss the frame completely. That's a, a different story, I would say. Yeah, if it's, your, if it's your job to save the penalties and you suddenly have to take one unexpectedly, I I, I don't think anybody's going to gonna remember or or put that to his legacy. They're going to remember yeah. the performance he had to get Nashville to this to this place. I will say a few weeks ago on extra time, I think it was after the the first group stage matches were all complete. They mentioned that keepers are probably the best penalty taking options because they practice against each other all all uh, during training when uh, the rest of the field players are doing stuff, which makes a little bit of sense to me. But at the same time, I think they uh, they have a different sort of mindset when it comes to a penalty shootout. They're more focused on saving <laughs> them. And all of a sudden, when they're put in the opposite position, it's a, a different story. Unless you're a yes. guy, uh, you know, like Volpe, who does it, who did it for his team all the time. Yeah, I I think technically speaking, sure, they're probably quite good at taking PKs. They're yeah. also not used to needing to score goals under pressure. That I think that yeah. was actually the counter argument in that discussion. I heard mm -hmm. it as well on extra time, and I would uh, I would tend to agree with that. Uh, before we get into more chat, and by the way, we're naked today, not literally. Um, and please don't think that uh, we're flying without I'm an American, American outlaws shirt on as I'm complaining about the U.S. Women's National Team. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me. Yes, uh, we're, we're flying without a rundown and just chatting and kind of processing, you know, with you here a couple days after after this defeat. Um, but we're going to take a break and talk about ML Rose for a minute. And uh, Tim, what was so cool was seeing at least one person, I think multiple uh, tweet at us and say, hey, mm -hmm. we do it for regular games. Why change up cadences now uh, and, and showing pictures from ML Rose um, in moments like this or for me, different situation. But the Tennessee Alabama game last year, 
a place that is so familiar, that is so comfortable, and of course that the food and the drink are great, they add a level of comfort and community and meaning in memorable moments like this when you're going before a special match before a final i did indeed scream and shed some tears very publicly at ml rose when tennessee beat alabama last year <laughs> i thought you were gonna say when people tagged you in the tweet <laughs> i scream happy tears maybe yeah uh not a scream i was i was quiet uh i was actually sitting in a not ml rose location in salt lake city feeling very separated from everybody. And that's where I was going with this is I wish I could have been with everybody either pregame at ML Rose or at Geodas Park, because places like that take on a persona in those moments, mm-hmm. right. And those special moments that we're going to remember. Yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, I, unfortunately I'm also out of town. Um, my wife's grandfather died. I'm at a funeral. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. But, but regardless, um, you know, thinking about how, People went to ML Rose before the match or after. Uh, we got a couple after as well, and thought thought not just to do that because because we tell them to every week, but also be, because uh, they thought of us when they were doing it and they sent us the pictures. That means a ton to us. It means a ton to ML Rose too. It lets them know that people people are finding them through us, and that's that's uh, I think a mutually beneficial relationship that we've been extremely happy with since the first day it started. But um, and again, we talk about it so much. It goes back to the community that that we've built with this podcast and that they are building with um, fans of Nashville soccer club. And we're happy that we can be a part of it. And they're happy that they can be a part of what we do as well. Uh, speaking of this community, by the way, and, and going away from ML Rose. So Eden ML Rose, eighth Avenue location um, before matches, after matches. Speaking of that, I, I want to give a quick thanks to our audience. I put out just a random tweet spur of the moment last week. You know, there were some complaints about the lack of coverage of this club, and I'm not going to get into my frustration with, with those who maybe say that, but then aren't engaging with those who cover the club on a daily basis. Cause most of you listening, you're the choir. You do engage with us. You're great. Um, but I tweeted, Hey, look, we, we've been at, at it for a long time covering this team. We want to be the source to educate new folks. There are a lot of new folks coming along and retweet and let people know we're around guys. You came through. I don't, I'm not going to read the numbers. I don't have access to them right now, but I mean, thousands of views of the tweet, like dozens and dozens of retweets, people sharing. That's awesome. Not because it, you know, inflates our egos, but because it gets more people access to learning about this team at a time when so many are fascinated by it. So Tim, say what you want there, but I just want to echo just a quick word of thanks to our audience, our friends now in the NSC community for uh, spreading the word. Yeah. And I, uh, I would like to extend the same thanks. And, um, you know, if you are a person who's been listening to us since episode one, that's awesome. And we appreciate you. If you're a person who uh, watched Nashville SC lose a heartbreaker to enter Miami and said, where can I find a podcast that talks about this team? And this is the first time you're listening. First of all, go back and listen to the back catalog. You have a lot of work to do, but secondly, thank you, you know, just as much because um, you know, we're, we're so happy with the community that we've built, you know, each week, dozens of mailbag questions we have to pare it down to the best few each week because you guys want to engage with the podcast you guys want to listen to the podcast and that's something that that means a lot to us for sure i reached out as we get back into uh meat and potatoes content here and i asked people yesterday how are we feeling and got a number of responses and i thought one summed it up some of my thoughts was, was it mine was it mine i don't probably not awesome this? I think I've got. Yeah, I made a I made a joke response. It will shock you to learn. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I'm stunned. Yeah, I might have texted you instead. Actually, I was going to say <laughs> but, I don't. I I yeah. don't remember. I I was having a couple beers in the Salt Lake Airport, which I didn't know you could do in Utah, but you can. Um, one response though, I thought you know summed up how you felt in general as a group of people, and how I think you know I would feel. 
Logan Elliott, of course, the one to say it. He says, proud. I think we showed last night we're a club to be taken seriously, a fan base to be taken seriously too. You never want to lose. But when you compete like that at that level with the incredible run Nashville made, it commands respect. Tim, uh, respect doesn't get you free gam. You can't turn it into currency. Maybe it gets you a look from a free agent in the offseason, but that pool is limited. What does Nashville gain from this experience? Either, you know, literally, you know, tangibly or feelings ball maybe i'm asking you about feelings ball here but, but what does nashville gain from its league cup run i think there's something to be said for the way nashville not only came out and played uh winning soccer but played more attractive soccer than people who don't watch uh, every single nashville match and kind of assume they assume based on one match with Derek jones playing striker because everybody else is injured that this club just lumps it up to somebody and who he doesn't do anything People actually sat down, the, the country sat and watched this club over the course of this run. And I think realized that this that there's more to it than, than defend and counter. Um, that's definitely always going to be part of the DNA of this club is defend and counter. And they do it better than basically anybody else. Um, they certainly defend better than anybody else. And they probably counter better than anybody else. But I think um, the perception that you gain there, um, it gets you talked about positively. And, and the ETR... Uh, Osphere and other places that talk about the league as a whole. And I think there's, there's a benefit in terms of fan perception. There's a benefit, um, you know, we, we, we kind of grown at, at some segments of the fan base that only care about how they personally are perceived on broadcasts or whatever, but the broadcast on um, Saturday evening was incredible. Fans sounded unreal. And yep. I, you know, I, just rolled my eyes about people who care too much about what, what the fans sound like on TV, but it was absolutely incredible. That's something that means something to not just your perception around fans around the league, but it's going to make Geodis Park a more intimidating place for opposing teams to come into. Like you mentioned before, it's going to be a place that, um, you know, maybe free agents have a little bit more interest in and this has been a club that's been really good with free agents. Sean Davis, Teal Bunbury. This is the the one place they wanted to come, really. So um, Nashville is already in good shape there, but it's something that can really help as you kind of try to – it's almost like a college football recruiting pitch. It's like, hey, we can sell you on atmosphere. We can yeah. sell you on, on you know, the, uh, the fan support and all that sort of stuff. When they have the situation where they're going to pursue somebody, it's going to help. Completely agree. So that's what this team gained from the League's Cup experience. What they learn about themselves that they can apply to league play where, I mean, you maybe have forgotten folks, form has not been good. Things have been kind of mm-hmm. all over the place. What can they learn that they can take forward to have a more successful league experience in addition to now having a striker that they can team up with Hani Mukhtar? Yeah, that was the thing I was going to say. They learned that having the striker really can be the game changer that everybody said it was going to be. Everybody <laughs> except for me. I will I will gladly eat my crow on that one. I said it'll make them better, but I don't think it's, it's really a, a paradigm shifter. A guy like Sam Surridge appears to be a potential paradigm shifter, and that's really going to help Nashville SC. That's the biggest thing to me is um, we already knew that this club was was good at a lot of things, but the one thing that they were having trouble with was having the guy who could who could not only be clinical in front of net, but consistently be in spots and, and not just assume Hani Mukhtar is going to put it in the back of the net, which, to be fair, he does pretty frequently, but um, a guy who can get into those spots and knows how to make those runs. I, I, I think... Uh, when Surge was signed, a lot of people, we, we've talked about this the past couple of weeks, I believe, but when Surge was signed, people thought he was going to be a stand at the top of the six-yard box and wait for a ball to hit you in the head and hope it goes into the back of the net. But we've seen him run in behind. We've seen him make those angle runs to open up space for his for his far side winger. Um, we have seen him do a lot of the stuff that, frankly, you only get from a guy who has a bit of a Premier League pedigree. And that's something that Nashville is going to be able to take and have a more diverse attack. And that's going to, you know, 
be the kind of rising tide that lifts all ships uh, from a Nashville SC perspective? Uh, Nashville has possessed really well now against strong competition. They had some great spells of possession against uh, against Miami, were, as you said, the better, brighter team. Dominated Minnesota with some attractive play. Even against Monterey, where they were always going to trail possession. I think that's what they gained, what they, what they learned about themselves. In addition to what you've said, I agree with every word. But I think being able to string together passes and possession and have some confidence. Whereas I think toward this late, you know, dip in form in major league soccer. Yeah. We saw them a little bit impatient, maybe a little bit less controlled than usual inside the final third, less confident. A striker is going to give you that confidence. Yeah. Maybe that's part of why they've been confident here in these matches. But I think also even without surge in the match, we've seen a team that's controlled the ball better, worked out of trouble better. And I think what I loved him is they were playing with live bullets, if you will, but mm-hmm. but in a place where there really was nothing to lose, you know, if you lose in the yeah. round of 30. Everything to gain, yeah. yeah. Right. So they're playing great competition, but it's not friendlies. And I think they learned so much about their ability to play out of the back, experiment just a little bit that they can take forward. And I would expect them to have some success now headed back into league play with those things in place. Yeah, confidence is a little on the feelings ball side for me, but I do think there's something to be said for going from a going from an ignominious streak to an incredible streak over the past yeah. uh, month and a few days. That that really they'll be more confident and better. I well, guess. But I, don't, I guess but I'll, I admit I'll admit it. I'll admit it. There's a I don't see that. Oh, yes, confidence, but I think it's cohesion. Yeah, I think it's yeah. literal physical connection and understanding. I don't think it's wow. We feel really good about ourselves after what we did because you could easily go mm-hmm. the other way and say. We feel really down. We just lost a final. This sucks. I think it's cohesion. I think it's yeah. practical, tangible connection. But that's where I want to go next is the emotional side of this. We Or even just fatigue. We see so many teams who go deep in, say, CCL. That's the best example. Struggle in league play when they come back. We saw it most recently from LAFC, who was in an almost identical situation to where Nashville is now. They lose a final in a continental competition, and they dropped form, despite having one of the most talented rosters in this league. Is that a risk for Nashville? And how do they avoid that risk of, look, they're tired when everybody else is rested. Atlanta just went to Seattle and stomped them last night on the road. And that's who's up first at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. How can Nashville learn from others who have had those letdowns and overcome that kind of, whether it's fatigue or emotional letdown and and carry on the success in league play that they had in the cup? Well, I think one thing that they can hang their hat on is that they really didn't have that heavy of a schedule in compared in comparison to what they're used to. In both 2020 and 2021, because of COVID, they had extremely packed schedules. This year, you know, even on the heels of this uh, competition, it's a more traditional weekend, weekend, weekend sort of schedule. They only had, um, you know, I, th- I think, you know, going from a, a Monday to a Friday to a Tuesday rather than a weekend midweek is, is a little bit more than a than a normal week every weekend schedule but it's not that much more it's something where there's not the same sort of game load that's going to fatigue you i do think there's a risk of it because of the emotional letdown a little bit we've seen it with lafc they were not um they were not bad uh talent wise or or you know cohesion wise they just didn't come out and play sharply uh after losing the ccl final so there's always a risk of that i do think when you look at um, who Nashville lost to, how they lost it, and those sorts of things. There's there's a bit of a, hey, you know, we went through a, a bad streak in league play right before this. We showed we can do it, but we didn't get that ultimate satisfaction at the end, and they come out and, and have not just the confidence that they've built, not just the additional striker, but a little bit of hunger to go out and say, okay, we've, we've dropped a sixth in the table at this stage. We need to climb back up and be where we want to be. 
All right, before we get into what's ahead, which is an Atlanta team that's now tied on points with Nashville with a game in hand, let's let's ask you one more League's Cup question. I think this one is one with several options here. Who is Nashville SC's League's Cup MVP? Uh, there's too many options, for one thing. <laughs> uh, you could go Hani Mukhtar or Sam Surridge from an attacking standpoint. You could go Elliot Panico for stepping in um, between the pipes in a, a situation where um, Joe Willis's father-in-law passed away a couple weeks ago. He's been out of town, um, out of training, um, and fortunately, um, he's he's back in town. Uh, our condolences to him and his wife and their families. But uh, you know, you could you could say that the opportunity that Panico received from that he took. But I think the number one option is Dax McCarty. We saw Nashville play their worst match of League's Cup when he didn't start um, against Toluca, and um, when he had started uh, again, I I just. Uh, um, you know, got got down on one knee and, and genuflected in front of him about about his performance against Lionel Messi. But that was not the first time he did it over the course of this competition. And that's something that I think makes him the MVP. And, that, and you know, it's not a lifetime achievement award, but what he has meant to this club prior to this tournament kind of um, colors your perception of, of just how important and, and how he hadn't been playing as well over the past maybe year plus. And suddenly, um, you know, when the, the lights were as bright as they've ever been, played as well as he's played since the 2020 season. Dang it. You mentioned a lot of appealing options to begin with, and I was hoping you'd go with one of them because I was going to sound smart and choose Dax. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. And I, I just talked for a second about Nashville's confidence and control and possession, that cohesion. I think Dax is the, is the link, right? He's the, he's the defensive um, cornerstone that helps the center backs process tough players and man marks people like Busquets or Dax McMarks. Um yeah, that's what I said earlier. That was the pun. I think, I think it was but, McMarkey, I think. Yeah, that, that is yeah, bad. Yeah, why'd, yeah. You, why'd you let me get away with that? That was all. I didn't. <laughs> I roasted you for it. Our humble editor might <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> um, but he was also the link going forward. And, and he sprung so mm-hmm. many huge passes. I mean, Nashville doesn't advance past America if he doesn't put that ball on a dime to Hani in the first place. So I, I guess for the sake of, of variety, I will say Sam Surridge is a close second for me, agreeing that Dax is the MVP. Three goals, two assists for Surridge, the final tally. Um, just just unreal. Of course, he nailed both the penalties he was asked to take as well. And uh, he was a revelation for this Nashville team for all the reasons that we've already discussed on this show and have talked about on, what, three episodes last week? Or at least two of them, <laughs> since Michelle didn't really you guys didn't get into Sam Surridge for obvious reasons on that. But, um, man, I mean, I think the, the question is, can he continue to produce? I don't see any reason why he can't. We've seen what strikers can do when they're effective and they play alongside Hani Mukhtar. I think we can hope and expect for a summer of 2021 CJ Sapong type of run from Sam Surridge yeah. now. Uh, I think that's that's yeah. We can we can, we can look for a, a Jander a, a, as good as Jander actually was, not as good as people think he was. <laughs> the type performance. Uh, and maybe even better because Jander. I think Jander struggled with with control sometimes. His his size, yeah. I mean, Sam's every bit as tall, but his, his footing got in his way sometimes, and Surge seems to be much more controlled yeah. there. I think you can expect, I, I think... I'm just seven, doing I'm just doing my defend John Ducati's joke. I know you are. <laughs> or bitch, I know, I I know you it. are. Uh, if you want to be my Loba, by the way, you'll score uh, for Mazatlan, as he did this past weekend against Leon. They lost still, but he scored for Mazatlan. I saw him crouching down and celebrating. I was like, we never saw that celebration in Nashville because he didn't have much of a chance to deliver it. <laughs> um, anyway, back to the present topic. I mean, I think it's fair in the final, what, 12 matches for Nashville, 
to I'm counting the matches. It is 12 more matches. 10 more it matches. It should be 10 if, it, if 10 it's more like 24, right? All right. I'm going to revise my expectation. I was going to say 10 goals in all competitions from Surridge, which would be 7 and 10, which is a little bit lofty to expect, I think, at this stage. I think including the playoffs. Well, it's play, if, if you count playoffs. Including the playoffs. playoffs, I think playoffs I think it's a fair expectation, yeah. right? I mean, I think he's going to have yeah. some some braces in there if all goes well. I really do feel like he's the ideal fit to team up with Hani and take this team to a home playoff match. Uh, they're currently two points off that base. Um, yeah, I think um, th- they'll be disappointed to not get a home playoff match at this stage. So to get there, they need to succeed in matches like this Saturday's going to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, take on Atlanta. Again, the team's tied on points, but Nashville with one game in hand. The boys in gold with an impressive display against Atlanta at Jodas Park ages ago, April 29th, a 3-1 win over ATL. But this Atlanta team, Tim, looked surprisingly good, shockingly good in Seattle. I mean, this is a group that that lost to Orlando. They lost 4-0 at Inter-Miami. And they lost to Cruz Azul. They didn't advance out of their group in Leagues Cup. Is this just a rested team? Is that the reason they look so good against Seattle? Were there extenuating circumstances? And does it concern you from Nashville SC's perspective, seeing the kind of form Atlanta seemed to be showing uh, just uh, just yesterday? I think a lot of it has to do with Seattle, to be quite honest yeah. with you. So that's, yeah. a, that's an issue, too. Seattle's been, uh, particularly in attack, they've been extraordinarily poor this year. And that's where you can get Atlanta. Um, they're probably going to score some goals, but they are going to give up a lot of goals. This is a terrible Atlanta defense. If you go out and play a good match against them, you are going to score. Now, what we know about Nashville is they are not a guarantee to play a good match every every time out. Um, we feel a little bit more confident about that with both a healthy Hani and Surridge now in the fold. But um, you kind of want to outscore them and Maybe Nashville's experience playing that sort of game against Toluca, for example, is a situation that gives them comfort saying, okay, we're going to go on the road and we're not going to do what we always do on the road and and bunker and counter a little bit more. We're going to go out and play some soccer. We're going to go out and um, have the sort of match that that makes people remember why they had so much fun watching us during League's Cup. And I think that that's what Nashville will want to have or have to want to do. If they don't want to do that, I I think they're going to see Atlanta score and and maybe, you know, win one nothing or something like that. I think it's a distinct possibility if you try to if you try to just pack it in against this team, they'll they'll find a way to get one. And they, um, you know, you aren't taking advantage of where they're most vulnerable. Nashville uh, unbeaten in its last seven matches against Atlanta in all competitions. It should be noted five of those games were at home. You do, I'm sure. Uh, Five five of those games at home uh, at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, a 2-2 draw. They were down 2-0. Hani came in and changed things in May of 21. And then uh, August of 21, they go back there and win 2-0. That was a Randall layout empty netter to finish things off. um, Daniel Rios celebration. Daniel Rios, yes. and uh, so now, I mean, it's, it's I think, a really challenging matchup, but a place that Nashville's gotten the job done before. What's the key to getting it done this time against ATL-UTD? Yeah, it's uh, take advantage of set pieces is, is number one, I think, because that's where Nashville has been exceptional in attack. They've shown more vulnerabilities uh, defensively on set pieces than you would like to see, but they have also flashed that they could be really good at clearing them. We saw a lot of that against Messi's team uh, just this past weekend. I think that that's where you can really, um, you know, change what could be an equal matchup. And then the other, the other part of it, I think, is is you have to have the initiative to attack. And I think when you have Hani Mukhtar and Sam Surridge, um, you can kind of just turn those guys loose and, and let them cook a little bit and hope that it happens. Um, we have seen Nashville take that game plan before. That's just kind of kind of activating just a couple guys at attack and hoping they can do it. Fortunately, one of them has pretty much always been Hani Mukhtar. But um, I do think that because of 
Atlanta's defensive vulnerabilities, you have to try to make that count. You can't let them say, we suck on defense, but you aren't going to test us, so who cares? It feels like a goal fest to me. I think Almada uh, and Gigi are too tough to completely shut down, especially at home. Giacomacus with a a brace uh, on Sunday night in Seattle. I'm setting, if I set the over under at three and a half goals, I think I'm taking the over in this one. I think it's a two, two draw three, two type of game for somebody here. Yeah. I could, man, I could see a, a four, one or four, four, two, four, three, either direction. Uh, if it's four, three <laughs> as well. Yeah. That would be, if it's four, one, is it Nashville? Yes. Okay. All right. Dude, you have got to, you've got to watch Atlanta. Their defense is so bad. They are awful. And it's a lot of fun yeah. for everybody else. They, yeah. You never know what's going to happen when you watch Atlanta, but you know it's going to be fun. And you know they're going to yeah. be goals either way for sure, especially on that turf at Mercedes-Benz. Before we get out of here, uh, just a quick plug for ML Rose. They but follow them on social media, by the way. They have great burger pictures and they're a really good social media team. And uh, there was a video of a burger four days ago that has my mouth watering. The Southern Summer Burger is their August burger of the month. Um, it, it's, it just looks really good. I thought their post was going to list ingredients. It didn't, but I see an onion ring. I see some sort of giving sauce. away the, why you wouldn't go to the restaurant. If you knew all the ingredients, you could just make it at home. Last. I don't think you could. The quality <laughs> of the ingredients is so strong. It's so good. Um, in the show notes, I will put what's in the burger. How's that? that that's a promise <laughs> for you. Cause I don't have time to look it up before zoom cuts us off right here. Uh, as we look at how the sausage is made, but how the beef is made is delicious. And the purpose of the post was to talk about their, uh, their burger pairing, but also or their uh, beer pairing, but also uh, Porter road beef. That's who supplies it. So you talk about ingredients, that stuff is the, that's the gold standard in Nashville. It's an example of how MROs cares, not just about doing things, but, but how they do things and mm-hmm. uh, great service, but also great ingredients and great beer. Yeah. And it's uh Definitely, uh, as you mentioned, follow them on social media. It's kind of a, it's kind of weird if if you try to find them. You have to go at underscore ML Rose. Um, if you just type in ML Rose, you'll find a, a couple weird things. And then sometimes when I try to tag them, you have to remember to t- to find them precisely. Um, I, we tag them every time we put up a show, so you probably have a or pretty easy way to find them from us. But um, yeah, thanks to them, and and I'm looking forward to having that burger of the month. Uh, I might go there tomorrow. It's it's going to be soon for sure. Uh, by the way, all right, I got you here. Um. Two smash patties from Porter Road, habanero jack cheese, fried green tomato, jalapeno ranch, and pickles on a cornmeal dusted Kaiser roll. Holy crap, that sounds amazing. All right. Well, I already ate lunch, but I'm going to have a second one uh, right now. Uh, anything else, Tim, before uh, before we want to get out of here today? No. Um, again, as, as you mentioned, thanks to ML Rose. Thanks to all the people who have listened since day one. Thanks to all the people who this is day one of listening as well. Uh, there are a lot of you for whom this is week two of listening. The numbers were through the roof last week on all three episodes because you guys and I'll be the diehards that is spread the word and you guys, the new folks came in and listened. Keep it up. Keep listening. Interact with us on social media as well. I'm at West Bowling TN. He's at Club Country USA. And most importantly, A, go to ML Rose and B, go to clubcountryusa.com and read Tim's outstanding written content as well. Uh, this is the companion piece to that. And the reason that this was created was to showcase the great work that Tim is doing in uh, in written form. So there, Tim, did I humble you enough there? Oh, thank you, Wes. I, I appreciate it. I'm blushing, everybody. Uh, thanks so much to uh, to Apple TV for the, uh, the sound, to 104.5 The Zone as well. Uh, we will leave you with uh, the final goal that Nashville SC scored in League's Cup play, originally given to Fafa Pico, then an own goal. We'll give you that audio getting out of here. Uh, courtesy of 104.5 The Zone and have a great rest of your week.
His left hand of the year. Drops down to his hip as Hani crosses it in. Fafapico's there and it's in! It's in! Fafa at the far post! Etched in history forever as Nashville's first goal in a final. 58th minute. Nashville 1, Miami 1.